Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 45 of Cage Rage, the Nicholas Cage podcast. It's a podcast about Nicholas Cage in which I go through all of the greatest actor of our generation's films in a journey to what I like to call true cage nirvana, the truest state of being, the utmost golden state of caginess to maybe better understand the actor going through all of his films. How has your week been? Hope you've had a good one. A little update from last week. You may remember I mentioned uh, (laughs) Sex Cat last week. We had a little update on that situation. Um, So we called out the RSPCA. Uh, We're able to catch the cat in a... Well, a little catch in a... I don't know the technical term. A cat's trap, like a little cat cage. There, there's like a little mechanism that sort of traps it. Very, you know, all safe, all humane. Uh, just so the RSPCA uh, officer can take a closer look at the cat. Now they determined it wasn't a female; it was a male, and it's not actually a stray. It's a feral cat. So that being the case, uh, they couldn't take it. Turns out, with feral cats, you have to let them go. You have to let them back out where they're used to so now we've just got a cat that screams at any given hour of the day um because there's nothing apparently nothing you can do about it because they're not rehomable not sort of trainable um you can't do anything with a feral cat unfortunately we have named it will though after will feral because love an obvious joke here on the podcast um but it's still shitting in the neighbor's garden so you know swings and roundabouts it's not all bad it's not all bad at all speaking of things that are definitely not bad, some might say good in fact, this week's episode, episode 45, I was joined by the host of Caged In Podcast, Petros Patsilovas himself, who um, very kindly tagged in to help me discuss World Trade Center, the second uh, film of 2006 for Nicolas Cage. Uh, in this episode, you know, we talk about Cage, we talk about World Trade Center, we talk about our thoughts and how the film could have been improved, uh, Michael Shannon's weird soldier character, some of the more religiously right-wing undertones of the film as well. Um, we go into the Nick Cage-Bruce Willis comparison. Inevitably, we talk about the Wicker Man because when you've got two Cage behemoths, of course, you're going to talk about the Wicker Man. So this episode was a lot of fun. Obviously, big shout out to Petros uh, for stepping in to jump on this one with me. All the links to uh, his socials in the descriptions as well. Uh, now, by the time this comes out, which would be um, end of March, it won't be long before uh, Petros jumps into his continuation, his natural continuation of Caged In Podcast. Now, at the time of recording, He's seen all of the Cage films that are currently available up until 2021. Uh, So now he's moving on to the Coppola Connections, going into the family tree of Nicolas Cage. Uh, Very exciting to look forward to. A lot of ground to be covered. Uh, So please go check him out. Say hello in all the links and such below. And give him your 
really support as well. Not to mention, um, if the name sounds familiar, that's because I have mentioned Petros on the podcast before. Uh, the intro theme that we have and the music bed. Uh, Petros made all of that for me um, very, very kindly. Went out of his way to do that for me. So uh, we're big fans of the show over here. And we're always in his debt. Um, now, just before we get into the episode, we'll get my bits of admin out of the way as well. You can also find me on the socials as well. Twitter at cage underscore podcast. Instagram at cage rage pod. The show is available on all the usual streaming services, Spotify, Google podcasts, Amazon music, Apple, Deezer, Stitcher, tuned in Podchaser. Speaking of Podchaser, uh, very excited this week that Podchaser selected this podcast, Cage Rage and Nicholas Cage podcast, as one of their 69 nice podcasts to binge in March 2021. That was awesome. Uh, side side note. Also got an email of statistics to say that last week or the week before last, this podcast was the 18th most listened to film podcast in Australia. So hi, Australia. Shout out uh, down under. Lovely to have you on board on the journey to true Cajun Nirvana. Um, but, you know, rolling on that momentum, if you are listening to the podcast on anywhere that allows ratings, you know, your Apple podcasts or Podchaser, please do consider following me on there, giving the show a rating, and I'll ring it up all the time, but it genuinely does make a difference, and you know that your boy really appreciates it. But with that admin out of the way, let's get into the episode. This one was a lot of fun to record. Uh, so it's Daryl, it's Petros, it's episode 45, World Trade Center. Enjoy. Two thousand and six continues as we move to a film that is the complete opposite of the ant bully with disaster drama World Trade Center. Nick Cage stars as John McLaughlin, a Port Authority police officer trapped in the rubble of the World Trade Center during the nine eleven terrorist attacks. Now joining me this week on the journey to true Cage Nirvana is fellow Cage connoisseur and host of the mighty Caged In podcast, Petros Patsilovas. Petros how the devil are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, I'm a bit perturbed at the fact that I agreed to talk about World Trade Center again. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of advertised this one on, on, on Twitter because it got to the point where, it, at the time of recording, um, I guess, quote-unquote, third season, I'm saying that very loosely, um, for me is, a, is going to go up soon. And the two I just couldn't shift, Wind Talkers and World Trade Center, um, didn't matter how many DMs I was slided into, and I was like, "You want to talk about one of the world's greatest atrocities with me?" Plus Cage. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really difficult sell, and then fortunately, um, Nicholas Cage, his guiding light, his golden hog, shone down upon me that day, and you slid into the DMs and said, "I'll step up to the plate." Um, so I am eternally in your debt as well. So thank you for taking. I guess the hit twice. If this is this this and second time you've covered this. Yeah, well, it's that thing with this film. The like, it's a, it's a really difficult one to talk about. I I find, and it's a difficult one to essentially enjoy. Like for me, I'm like, this is not the type of film I would watch out of pleasure, and I don't really like see yeah. the pleasure in it because there's an element of grief porn to it of this thing of like we know that that mm -hmm. like those events are horrible but and 
the way this film handles the situation as well and like i try not to be cynical about things but like i can't help but think how quickly this would have gone into production after the real life events yeah yeah this i I really agree with that because i try to look into films pre-watching sort of as little as possible unless i've already seen it just so I can try and take it in fresh as like a new viewer. Um, obviously, with the title of this one, spoilers. I kind of know what was gonna <laughs> was gonna happen in this one, but it's one of those. It's like, how much enjoyment can I sort of take from it? You know, with, with sort of my podcast, I try to just be very tongue in cheek, and I'm, I'm I've got this guilty thing in my head, and I'm kind of like, am I? It's nearly twenty years later. Are we allowed to? look at this in a light-hearted way yet were you allowed to make jokes do i have to be very somber in this episode i think the Um, way that you handle it is like you either you look at it on two levels like you look at a depiction of real events and how that is handled and you just kind of like have that over in one column and then you look at it solely on like a film making basis and it's quite hard to 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 separate the two like yeah personally fine but like on a filmmaking level and it's like you just look at the choices that were made so like michael shannon for one jumps out to me it's like of all the stories that you could tell you get this kind (laughs) of bible bashing flag waving like like marine who's like i gotta i gotta get there i gotta i gotta save the boys and it's like of all of all the stories you could have picked like Steve Buscemi used to be a firefighter and like yeah I've read about this when this happened like when 9-11 happened he kind of dropped tools of acting and like went to help and it's like I would have much preferred to have seen like Steve Buscemi like that story of an actor like yeah quitting his day job and going back to his old profession to help out instead of this like yeah, as I said, like Bible bashing and like very flag waving uh, character we get from Michael Shannon. And there's a line that jumps out to me that he says that is just like makes it like makes it feel quite gross to me, which is like he's on the phone to somebody and he's like, I'm not sure I'll be in today. And like there's obviously like they're talking about what's going to happen. There's allusions to what will happen in the world next. He's like, they'll yeah. need some good men out there to avenge this it's like this isn't the fucking avenge i mean this isn't the mcu you're not you're not nick fury like yeah he he was kind of like i like michael shannon don't get me wrong um i think he's like a tremendous actor but i I know that his character was based on the real life sergeant dave Carnes, but some of the lines just felt like like they were setting up a sequel with him as a one man operation <laughs> to go to go to Iraq. Um, you know, ironically, not Army of One with Nicolas Cage, which would have been an interesting sequel. Um, but th- there were some lines that he had, sort of like you were alluding to there, where it f- those felt like the most, if this makes sense, um, Hollywoody scripted lines because he, he had one when he rocks up on the scene. And I will note as well, like he he stopped on the way to get a haircut in the midst of a tragedy. Like, did I don't know if he had to do that. He wanted to look good for the rubble, apparently. Uh, but he had that line that said, "Looks like God made a curtain with the smoke, shielding us from we're not yet ready to see." And maybe he did say that in real life. Maybe not. But I was kind of watching this in bed last night. Uh, not a great film to go to sleep to, by the way. Very harrowing. 
Um, but he said that, and I was kind of like, oh, really? Just help. Just go and help. Yeah, and it is that thing. Like a lot of, so I read that a lot of people thought that he was a Hollywood construction, like his character, yeah. and he very much like. I think that is down to the writing of that character because he like he has just kind of all of these like almost like pause the film, talk to camera moments where he's delivering these lines of like, oh, this is what the audience want to hear, like that kind of the line you mentioned. It's like that almost wink like look to the camera and say like we're gonna need some good men to avenge this it's like yeah we fucking know what happens <laughs> next like you don't need to like yeah. kind of signpost it in these like gross ways and i don't i, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it's like for you but like part of this i had like a couple of um Leonardo DiCaprio like pointing at the screen moments you know like that that gif that kind of (laughs) yeah yeah where you see people who've obviously after this gone on to have like really big careers whether it's like Viola Davis who plays like the mum in the hospital yeah gets like about 10 seconds of screen time uh cries and then you don't see her again (laughs) um Obviously, we we know now um, as she was then a brilliant actress, but I kind of felt like I understand the necessity to have another grieving human being there because this is like a universal, uh, almost bonding tragedy. But at the same time, I was like, Viola Davis, they did you dirty. You could, <laughs> you could have you you should have been so much more in this flick, and yet we just had that whole B story of um, you know, gonna put my uniform on and then get a haircut, and then Michael Shannon marching through the rubble um which i think if you just had any kind of uniform on you could just go in i I, that being said there was that guy um i'm sure he probably got named but it's kind of slipping me who was they steven dorf's character the rescue guy was saying have we got any paramedics have we got any paramedics and there was that guy saying uh kind of (laughs) and he got he got so much screen time i'm like who is the, who is this guy? Who is this Joker? He's like, yeah, I don't have a license anymore, but I can turn a man on his side. Yeah, like, who are you? It's Where like you come from. I'm I'm a first aider at work. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, like yeah, like, I've, 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 I did the CPR. Like, it was it staying alive that you have to press the <laughs> press the chest too. Yeah, it says, it, and I I don't know. I would have much preferred, like, instead of the Michael Shannon character, to have seen, like, the kind of, the story of, like, a Stephen Dorff, or even that, like, paramedic guy, like, his kind of day leading up to it, instead of this... Yeah, yeah. And this film has got, like, allusions to religion a lot of the time, and it seems like, I don't know, like, from, right reading online, and I've, like, pulled out a couple of like reviews of this and there's kind of two camps but there's either like yeah it's very like flag wavy and like right wing Mm. like christian like kind of like and there's that scene that is i and the thing is it's talked about in the film which would have been fine but there's that moment you see the silhouette of jesus with a bottle of water fuck yeah I that popped up a few times, and I think on one respect, I was like, okay, I understand he's sort of um, this is a uh, William Hemano's character. He's having sort of visions of Jesus because he's slipping in and out of consciousness. Like, okay, that's fine, but the way it was shot, just this 
uh, robed figure would just be Jesus, like he's offering just like a bottle of water, like he's sponsored by Buxton Water or something, <laughs> just walking forwards. It, and it was just so, the colours were all so bright and vibrant. I've, I was kind of like, am I watching a Queen of the Stone Age music video? What the fuck? <laughs> this is so jarring for me. Um, but I get what they were trying to do. It just felt weird because it was kind of like I, I sort of took my eyes off the screen for like a second and suddenly it was like, are, are they going to go full right wing and just say that Jesus just lifted them out of the rubble here or something? Just biceps rippling. Is that where they were going to go with this? Well, there's lots of weird elements like that. There's lots of like ascending imagery and like white lights and stuff like that. And it's it does have this religious undertone to it that like i'm not sure like i buy into it and it makes me think like who is this film for and obviously like knowing the director as well like like in preparation for this i watched jfk so like one mm-hmm. of oliver stone's earlier films which like is a fantastic portrayal of the obsession and trying to get to the bottom of the potential conspiracy that JFK was assassinated not by Lee Harvey Oswald, but like potentially the CIA and the government. Right. And it's like, so the same guy who made that, this kind of very anti like politics and kind of anti establishment movie and like told that story, like, what is it? Like 15 years later, is making a film that is very like flag wavy like bible beating going like we're really good like this is america and it's like i, I don't know like I, I, i'm giving the film all its dues like it does it the the kind of portrayals of family life like there there are there are obviously some good points to this that like they could have they could they could have handled it so much worse at the same time oh yeah 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 definitely um i mean i've, I've I always find it sort of interesting, just sort of um, the chronology of films that like directors and writers and actors have coming up to something. And um, obviously, Oliver Stone has like a, a great backlog of films. Platoon, most obviously, Academy Award for Best Director, Natural Born Killers, as you said. Um, also, uh, later on, him and Cage would team up again, albeit a bit briefly for Snowden in uh, Cage's um, case, but. I'm just looking at the scene like uh, Oliver Stone also wrote the screenplays for Scarface, Platoon, and Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> and I was like, you've always got that one that sticks out. And, um, you know, nothing against Conan the Barbarian, but you go from that with Arnold Schwarzenegger up to uh, a film sort of depicting the events of 9 11. And you think, what a chronology of events. But, but he, ha- I th- I think- he has got kind of. Um- precedent for doing this because obviously scattering mm. in in amongst that he's got yeah jfk he's got nixon he's got w so he's got he likes to kind of do these like almost like biopics of political figures and normally has like he is very center of left like left center do you know what i mean he's, he's left leaning a lot of the time in the so w is kind of like a damning portrayal of george w bush or do you know what I mean like Nixon is just showing him for the piece of shit that he is? <laughs> Whereas, like, I I just don't understand what the message of this film is. Yeah, it's it. it I, I was kind of thinking about it because you know sometimes, the, as I said, there's a message there, but it kind of seems to be 
here's a horrible event that happened. We're going to focus specifically on two people about it. So I, I, I don't know if it was meant to be a wider thing, you know. Um, th- this is more almost docudrama in a way because um, I know they're based on real events and obviously real characters. Um, and Michael Shannon's haircut, obviously getting great screen time there. <laughs> um, lovely haircut, by the way. N- nothing knocking on Michael Shannon, like I say, but it's like what? I sort of come away, I think when I came away from the film, I was kind of like, obviously I felt a bit like sad because like it's still an awful thing to sort of think about and watch and talk about and stuff like that. But it's like, but also looking at it sort of as a film, I was kind of like, okay, I watched it. It, it, it was, it's fine. Like I think a lot of the, the visuals of it are very affecting, but um it's kind of like I don't I don't know what else I was supposed to take away from it because you know we watched this in 2021, nearly 20 years later, and it's like, okay, well I, I know what happened. I've revisited it in this film. Nicholas Cage lived. That's you know my majority investment in there. The hero lived. Um, <laughs> but it's it's like you said. Obviously, you're saying that like I don't know if you've sort of found a message in this because I. For me, it was just kind of like this is a we're revisiting events. Um, that's kind of how it came across yeah, to me. I think in the fact that like it's just those weird like religious moments and the kind of like like because you know that Michael Shannon's character is going to be Republican voting. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm like I'm, yeah. I'm not casting aspersions, but I reckon like the the real cans like now is like probably pro-Trump, do you know what I mean? Like, he was definitely at the Capitol in some, yeah, it's, <laughs> some respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, either, yeah. either in person or in heart, do you know what I mean? He was, <laughs> he was, he was there. He was, he was raising a fist like, there goes my brothers in arms. Uh, but like, yeah. it's just that thing of like, it, it kind of could have lost that stuff. I just mean like, politically, where does this lie? And it's, it's just, I don't know, like, all of the other stuff I get like, and I like I, I'll admit this. Like when Will Jimeno, like the the Michael Pena character, is in the hospital and Maggie Gyllenhaal comes in to see him, and they're having that exchange about what to name their daughter, like given mm. given like the the chance that he could die, I was welling up. That may be. Because like I like I have a child, so it's like that thought of like yeah. oh, like oh, like imagine like my child without without one of its parents, or whatever. But like I was like, so this has got me on some level. But at the same time, when I come out at the end of it, I'm like, yeah, but all that kind of oh, I don't know, all the yeah, all the Michael Shannon stuff really just leaves a bit of taste in your mouth. And again, like you, I'm a massive Michael Shannon fan. I just think like his character in this film is wholly unnecessary. Yeah, I definitely agree. I kind of, I think, actually going back to what you said earlier, if it had been um, almost like the three sort of separate stories of interwining into one sort of, I guess, like the police officers, Stephen Dorff's character, um, maybe even the, um, the the random medical guy or um, someone interested in the building, if there'd been those separate um narratives that were interwoven into one i think it may have been like a, a much more um satisfying film narratively speaking because 
Michael Shannon's character, like we said, okay, I, he was there. Obviously, the way he came across on film, maybe more to do with the script writing, as we've said, um, made it seem like he was an invention. Because even though I've read the the IMDb to say no real person, he went on to serve uh, two more tours of Iraq after he'd re-enlisted. Um, I kind of think if he wasn't there, I kind of think like I'd I'd enjoy the film more. I mean. You know, he, he doesn't do anything necessarily wrong. He isn't a bad character. He's very much um, America, eagles, waving flags, freedom, justice, declaration of independence and all of that. Because um, I think it's when Stephen Dorff's character is asking him, he's like, oh, what's your name? He's like, I'm a Sergeant Major Dave Carnes or something. And he's like, what's a shorter version of that? He's like, Sergeant Major. It's like, okay, I get it. You love your country. You love the army. I already know everything I need to know about you. Um, if I don't know, he I don't think that Dave Conn's character should have pulled as much focus mm-hmm. as they did. Um, I suppose in the grand scheme of the truth they were trying to convey with this film, if it was indeed him who found uh, McLaughlin and him and those characters in real life, then I understand why he had to be there. But at the same time, looking at it purely from a film perspective, I'm just kind of like. Yeah. Well, there's a glimpse of what this film could have been with that Viola Davis scene, in that like we could have got a glimpse of this as somebody who like in all intents and purposes is a civilian because what her yeah. her son is like a lift operator within the building, and it's like for a lot of people like that, and especially like with 2021 eyes, like this is like there is an element of like propaganda to this do you know what I mean of like the 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 kind of the only people we're 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 supposed to invest in are the people in uniform or those who are related to people in uniform and it's like Mm -hmm. the the kind of civilians like Viola Davis's like character son like gets mentioned of but it's like we don't get to like if we had seen his like his how his day panned out as well like and it's that thing like even though that character like possibly could have died do you know what i mean like like but then like that's another element to it and it's like i don't know was and then it asked that question was like have they gone right we'll go to down the thing of like let's let's go with truth but even with truths there's so many other like avenue and sometimes in films as well like the truth doesn't always make for a good story do you know what i mean like yeah in life do you mean if you tell a story like you're gonna go right here's 20 percent like extra on top or whatever or like yeah like i don't know or yeah you could write a novel that is going to be way more interesting for instance than your autobiography like like for the everyday person so it's like yeah, <laughs> I and and it is that thing of like I guess a production like this is hamstrung because of the weight of the real life events, and I think I th- yeah I think so like something like Titanic you can kind of create this like fairy tale imagined world and this romance with it that like because it's all those years ago do you know what I mean it's like kind of if it, everyone dresses in like. Do you know what I mean? Everyone dresses all smart and, and like in clothes we yeah. don't wear today. So it's like there's an element of detachment. Whereas this is like 
for most for, for, for everyone like most people alive today at least there is knowledge of that like do you know what I mean it's either first hand or second hand knowledge that that happened do you know what I mean like people can yeah. people can go online if they want to and watch that footage of those planes going into those buildings like if we want to see the titanic hit an iceberg all we've got is a handful of like i don't know like tv adaptations and james cameron's 1997 film yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I suppose it, it it's it sort of touched on what we've been saying i think maybe because in timeline wise you know we're only sort of four or five years removed when they were making this film i guess there was a hollywood thing where you have a grace period of five years and then we can start making money on this tragedy um i think they had to be i don't know if i don't know if overly respectful is the right term but i definitely got the sense in the film that they wanted to depict the events obviously but also it was very safe I kind of feel, um, it's like I said, there was obviously the trying to depict a bit element of truth, not always interesting, but this is what I've been saying. Obviously, so many stories that could be told from so many perspectives on that day. Um, you know, it, sort of excuse the term, they wanted to get right in, in, in knee deep in it and get into the people who are in the building. And I get, obviously, as it says at the end of the film, that uh, McLaughlin and Himeno, they were two of 20 people who were saved so i obviously i guess from that you know there's, there's a story of their sort of battle for survival and staying you know trying to stay awake and keep each other talking and remembering about their families and stuff but um like i said they felt like obviously there was just so much there um then we got um you know we we just got um Bus cut McGee walking round waving his glorious American hog in the rubble <laughs> and being the <laughs> being the hero of the day. So, um, you know, I think obviously just just a, a lot more I could have done. But um, so what are your thoughts on the fact that like this film could have starred Mel Gibson or George Clooney? I saw that. Um, I saw that. <laughs> The various choices to play um, Mel Gibson, George Clooney, Kevin Costner, John Travolta, um, which arguably still Nicolas Cage. Um, <laughs> but I kind of, I guess I can see why they would have wanted to go for them because they're uh, recognizable big names. I suppose they would have hit an age criteria, but at the same time, Everyone wants George Clooney to be in everything because he's fucking beautiful. Um, that that's one of his biggest selling points. Kevin Costner, I'm kind of, uh, you know, neither for nor against Kevin Costner. Um, Mel Gibson, um, you know, just stick to Passion of the Christ and sitting next to blood blood covered figures, you absolute maniac. Um, <laughs> and John Travolta, I. It's weird for me because John Travolta, I think in a way, has had a sort of similar, I don't know if trajectory is the right word, but he's had a few stinkers as well. I think it's fair to say. Oh, so it's kind of... He's had many a stinker. Like, the, the, <laughs> the, the guy is like a boomerang. Do you know what I mean? You kind of try and fly. Hollywood has tried to throw him away so many times and then he just comes back. Like, <laughs> I think in my lifetime, there has been like three renaissances 
of John Travolta, whether it's like Pulp Fiction, they're like, John Travolta's back on the scene, and then like Face Off, it's like another one, and that's like within like the space of like, what, like five years, it's like, he kind of like falls <laughs> off, and come, he's like, he's up and down, he's like a fucking wave machine, that guy. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think I have to a bit of, sort of side tangent here, but that's in all the uh, Travolta films. I think he's another one of these actors who has had, like I say, a similar trajectory with bad films like Cage, but Cage is the one who gets the bad rap for the stinkers. Um, I think John Travolta's got a far too easy ride for too long. Uh, Travolta, I'm calling you out. I'll give you my coordinates. We'll settle this <laughs> like men. Pistols at dawn. Um, and I suppose as... as I think the other day, sort of touched upon on Twitter, I saw that you had posted that obviously um, Bruce Willis, very lazy. He's been getting away with some fucking ham hogs of shite for a while oh, as like, well. Yeah, that, that is an axe I very much like to grind. It's like, he is what people perceive Nick Cage to be. This kind of like lazy actor who's just picking up checks left, right and centre. And it's like, no, even in like some of the biggest cage dross you can still find like nuggets of interesting stuff whereas like bruce willis you can just see he's like fuck you pay me do you know what I mean? it's just like so yeah. lazy with it like, he's in a film called like hard kill and it's like you so like get 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 this straight bruce you're in a film that is cashing in on ripping off the title of one of your <laughs> biggest successes. <laughs> it's like, it's just lazy. And it's like, and then yeah. compounded by the fact that he's going into pharmacies and like not wearing a mask and just kind of, and then that whole thing, like, don't get me started on that kind of like, they kind of built up the hype machine about like Die Hard or whatever. And it turned out to be, it was like, He's just done some really glossy, high-budget advert for batteries, for, like, car batteries. Yeah. And it was just like, you know what? Fuck you. Fuck you, Bruce. <laughs> like, you're really just... You Not only are you just, like, shitting on, like, us as fans who have, like, been there for you for these years. It's like, now you're just... You're shitting on your own legacy as well. It's just leave that shit alone. Yeah, I think we can comfortably say... As we commence 2021, I think we're in a comfortable enough position where we should, could and should be telling Bruce Willis to fuck off <laughs> and just wind his neck in. You've done enough damage. You're giving Cage a bad name by fucking proximity of being in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> fucking, fucking stop. Um, but obviously, that being said, obviously the other people who could have been in the role. Um, I mean, I'm. this is one of those films where... Um, you know, I didn't mind Cage being in it. I, I think it's one of these films with respect that um, I guess any actor could have done. It didn't have to be Cage. It didn't have to be Kevin Costner or uh, George Clooney to do this. Um, obviously, for the sake of a podcast, one more Cage film. So I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not going to knock it on that regards. Chef's kiss <laughs> to Nicolas Cage. Um, I think my only sort of notes on Cage really was like I'd, I'd read that he'd obviously worked on his New York accent for authenticity because he's committed, give him a film, 95% of them he's completely committed to, left behind looking at you. Um, but the only other one I thought, because this, he would have been about, I think in late 30s when he filmed this, maybe 37, 38 in that, in that realm, with the moustache. 
and at the point of filming, this is the I think the oldest he's looked at this point in his career. He looked like ha- at least fifty. I thought his character was about fifty. <laughs> looked haggard. Well, he's got this like moment, and I think it's like the uh, the biggest glimpse to a cageism we get in this film is when he's like uh, Jimeno's like talking to him and like trying to get him to speak, and he just kind of goes, "My legs, my legs," and it's like ah, oh. like <laughs> C- cage kind of creeps out. It's like the New York accent's gone. It's like no, this is just like full Nick Cage. He's kind of like really like hamming it up. Yeah, I was like, there he is. You can't trap Cage under rubble. Nothing can stop the real Cage. Um, he says he's got his legs trapped under the rubble, and um. They're both trying to urge each other to stay awake. Um, and then I think it's him and her saying, like, oh, I can't move. And then he, uh, McLaughlin is overwhelmed by the, by the situation and just starts going, ah, ah, ah. I was like, yeah, that, that, there's the scream. There it is. I fucking knew you had it in you to get a cageism in a film about 9-11. I fucking knew you had the stones. Um, so sort of you know happy happy about that but i was sort of reading as well i think this goes back to sort of saying obviously playing it a bit safe five years after 9-11 seemed to be a lot of stuff that um kind of very strict about what they couldn't couldn't do um so they couldn't have a um uh, the city of new york so they couldn't have a recreation of that kind of chaos of the day so they had to do a lot of filming in Los Angeles. It says the only scene they could do in New York was when the officers were driving up to the site. Mm-hmm. Um, but they said filmmakers were not even allowed to film actors looking upwards towards where the towers would be. Um, so even like raising your head like 15 degrees high, <laughs> you banned. Can't do it. But I, sp- I suppose that was a lot of films at the time though because I Remember, there was that big thing about the uh, the Tobey Maguire Spider Man, the, the poster for it. They had to uh, take the Twin Towers out of the poster. I think it was. Yeah, well, um, I remember there was like trailers before the the that happened for that film, where or like a teaser. It's a scene that got cut out where he like thwarts a plan by putting a web between the Twin Towers, catching a helicopter. Yes, I remember about this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and then, yeah, like you mentioned, there's the reflection of New York City in its kind of like bug eye thing. Or like shine. Yeah, the, the, yeah, they had to remove that. And it's, it's very weird. And like, I can't, like, I can't help but thinking, because obviously I was like, oh, I've talked about this before. Like, what's something like I can, I can add that is, that is, it, interesting and like the thing the thing i thought about is like weird celebrity connections to 9-11 in 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 a very mm-hmm. bizarre way. and as i was obviously like i think it's well documented that uh pete davidson's father passed away in 9-11 and yeah he kind of like delves deep into that uh in his stand-up and kind of like in some of like I think it's like the roast for James Franco he's he's involved and people go hard on him and like he kind of goes hard on the fact that like his dad died in 9-11 but then the the king of Staten Island is like a a a great again for me like not the best film in the world but like kind of deals with the trauma of 9-11 
in a really good way. And they're obviously mm-hmm. a film that came out, what, in 2020. So, like, uh, what's that? Like, 19 years after the events of what happened. And it's like, and it feels like somebody who has a right to tell that story, Pete Davidson. And then another one, like, which I think, like, it popped into my mind when we've got Michael Shannon delivering that line about, like, somebody's got to avenge this, which is Adam Driver joined, like, the army after 9-11. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he had, like, this kind of, like... Well, I guess he had that, like, that fire in his belly, like Dave Kearns, where he's like, oh, yeah. I've got to go get these motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I imagine there's like obviously a massive recruitment drive sort of following that, mm. but um, so it's, but what he says sort of like the the celebrity tie-ins almost. Um, I don't know if you, you've heard the story about Seth MacFarlane. Um, obviously he was supposed to be on one of the planes that crashed into the towers, wow. but didn't make his flight because he was hungover. Um, so <laughs> I read that and I was like, if there was ever an advertisement for drinking, that. <laughs> That is it right there. Um, yeah, and it's it's really interesting because obviously, like the same year this came out, we also got the Paul Greengrass film United ninety three, which is mm-hmm. about is it, I think it's a, is it about the plane that di- like one of the planes that didn't? I've never seen it again. Like I said, like this isn't the kind of film I tend to to think. Oh, you know what? I'm in I'm in the mood to watch a film about a recent a tragedy that I remember. Yeah, like, yeah. I think the same for me. I think when by the time this would have come out, this was released two thousand and six. I would have been fourteen, fifteen. So this isn't the film I would have actively gone out of my way to see. Um, Was it my birthday is on September fourteenth? So obviously, I was. I think I just. Um, I was just about to turn ten when the nine eleven attacks happened, and it was kind of obviously the world was very morose. And I was like, "Oh, I guess my tenth birthday is going to be sad then because I'm so close to this." Um, but like I said, I wouldn't have gone to see this. Um, that being said, looking at the other films that were released at the time, when this one came out, it went sort of uh, straight to number two at the box office. Uh, couldn't top. Talladega Nights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby, um, which is probably the film I would have gone to see uh, yeah. because, you know, following Anchorman, Will Ferrell still. Um, I also noted as well, so when it released, it was uh, August 9th, 2006 that it released. Uh, at this time, Ant Bully was still at number nine in the box office. So <laughs> context, content aside, pretty decent period of time for Cage films. Um, only marred by the fact that the next release would be The Wicker Man. Um, so I, I look at that and I think, 2006, what a strange time for releases for Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Start with Ant Bully, go to World Trade Center, finish strong on The Wicker Man, one of the greatest films of all time. Well, I, what a why year. I remember covering, like, kind of doing that period of Cage on the podcast and being like, yeah, 2006 is a strange year. Like and it's like 2006 <laughs> was a strange year anyway because like we got what we got the Omen like remake and the Wicker Man remake both in the same year because I think 
what was it, 2006, that Omen cashed in on the fact that they could release it on the 6th of the 6th, 06. And then, like, yeah, the, 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 yeah that, that, whether you like it or whether you, you, you don't like it, that Wicker Man sequel is a thing of wonder, at least, like, I know it's the the only reason I'm annoyed about the Wicked Man is at the time of recording I've already covered it in an episode yet to come out. Um, so I I thought, oh, uh, fuck it, why not? I'll just pay seven actual human pounds to own this digitally on Amazon, and then later on, and now it now you can just stream it on Amazon Prime. Now it exists for everyone. So the Wicker Man has seven pounds of my money. Uh, Neil LeBute. You wonderful, weird man. You have seven pounds of my money. Um, I'm only happy that Nicolas Cage hopefully is getting a cut. Um, See, I, I, I own that film on DVD, like like a lot of people. <laughs> so I own World Trade Center on like on DVD. I've got this weird thing. I don't really share it that often on Caged In. Is that like I actually like have a point that like. I need to physically own these films as well. Just because it's like that thing of like, I don't know, it's a physical talisman of like, once it all gets to the end like of the podcast, it's like, I've got them all. Like I've, I've, got, I've got all the films as well. And it's like, I could kind of, I don't know, I, can, I, I could go out and bury them to be like, that's it, the podcast is done. <laughs> going out into the desert and burying them all just like they did with the uh the et atari games yeah uh, or, or, just a massive hole or joe pesci in uh casino <laughs> take him out to a cornfield <laughs> beat all the dvds with a baseball bat and bury him in a hole oh just take him out like old yellow around the back of the sheds <laughs> you had your time it was fun um i suppose to me i just I think just for the sake of ease, just try to find what I can um, online. VPNs be blessed. Um, I think I'm, I'm sort of with with DVDs, and I think it's more Blu-rays for me. It's only um, because I'm, I can be an impulse buyer with the convenience of Amazon Prime and next day delivery and stuff. Um, I mean, it's a testament um, sort of the bookshelf in this room so many books with like a bus ticket or like a scrap of paper that have bookmarked pages to books that i'm just never going to go back <laughs> to um i'm such an impulsive buyer so i think if i'm going to get a film it's going to be one that um obviously it's either like oh you can't stream there's more features on it that you couldn't get on a normal dvd it's something i'll watch more than once um there has to be a repeat value worth my money to go in on a blu-ray um so, so yeah, I, I, yeah. I will show you something. I got given, I got, I got sent a screener for this film, yet I own it. Right. Exciting. There's a drum roll moment. Here we go. There you go. Jiu-Jitsu. There it is. There. The best part about it, the poster. There you go. Yeah, that th- this is the 2020 Nicolas Cage film, Jiu-Jitsu. I own this on blu-ray and like you you were saying like you want extra stuff on a blu-ray this has got nothing (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't even it it? doesn't even boast like an interactive menu as one of the as one of the special features there's nothing no 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 trailer no interviews of the cast no behind the scenes no 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 deleted scenes no extended scenes it's like i'm I'm just 
I'm disappointed. Um, one of the questions I want to ask you is with about the Wicker Man is, have you seen the theatrical version ending? So it has like a a tease for a sequel that will never happen. No, I don't think I did. I think I the only whichever version is the one that Amazon Prime put up. Um, obviously, we're here being like, "Are oh, you bitches, my And you know the rest. Um, where he's wicked to fuck. I think the technical term is um, that, that one is the the only version uh, that I've seen. Uh, but I didn't know there was a, an alternative ending, so, so to speak. Well, there's there's a there's an ending, and I don't I don't I don't know how you can get this because it's not on the D, it's not on the DVD either. It, like, because I think I think once it once it was out of like the cinema, they were like, well, that's not getting a sequel, so there's no point teasing it. it I remember mm. it years ago being on Netflix. So there is an ending where it has James Franco in a bar, obviously. And um, ah, like one of the women from the island is flirting with him in in this bar, nice. and then it kind of like cuts to black, and it's like supposed to be like they're they're making like another they're they're kind of gearing up for another sacrifice on the island by like tempting in James Franco's character, and it's like now like weirdly, especially because there's that. There's that connect connection between Nick Cage directing James Franco in the only film he's ever directed, Sonny, as yeah. as pretty much a surrogate for himself. It was like it feels like a film that Cage would have done in the eighties, like if, if he could have got it off the ground to star in. Yeah, I was obviously saying like James Franco being at the end there. I was kind of thinking like, oh, this this almost makes it sound like it there was just going to be like. Um, an MCU cage verse where it just ties in with Sonny and then Sonny <laughs> 2 is him going to the island to just apply his trade and just bang um, <laughs> just bang his way through the, the female residents of the island until uh, only the wicker man is left for him to fuck um, perfect that's interesting though that they um, that they thought that there was going <laughs> to be an appetite for a second I suppose <laughs> But now, I suppose, obviously, watching The Wicker Man, it's kind of weird because it's one of those films, even though, for all intents and purposes, it's a steaming pile of your finest dog shit, it's still such... It's still... And obviously, unintentionally, but it's still so funny. There's still so many funny, like, what are you going there, a shark or something? It's just so great. I just... Like, I'd watch it again. Because um, I remember when I was watching it... Um, I would just sort of sat downstairs at my laptop. My partner was sat next to me. And obviously, you know that bit where um, he is uh, he's on the ferry and he sees the vision of the girl from behind, but she gets fucking ploughed by a like, truck. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd lost my shit. <laughs> and then I'd just go, ah! And then my girlfriend just like frightened, just like, what, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, this girl just got murdered. And then I was like, obviously, in context, I had to explain, like, I'm not just laughing at murder, but this murder was, mmm delicious um i see that that sort of speaks to my continuing efforts to try and get my um girlfriend to watch more cage films with me but um selective films you know ant bully the crudes she'll watch national treasure because it's disney um but gold like this the wicker man is that's a lost cause 
unfortunately. But yeah, well, let's just say I started off uh, this podcast, like uh, yeah, doing a Nicolas Cage podcast in a relationship. I'm now single. I'm not saying it's uh, <laughs> any indication of where your life is going, but be be very careful of of, of what powers you mess with, Daryl. This this is a this is basically the ghost of Christmas future for me. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> when Cage has robbed everything, he's <laughs> robbed all my prospects, robbed my relationships. <laughs> but by God, I made a commitment to get to the end of this thing, and I'll I'll fucking do it. I'll fucking do it by hook or by crook. I'll be honest, for the last 10 minutes, I forgot we were talking about a tragedy. So, um, back to the lighter stuff. <laughs> um, uh, I obviously touched upon the writing as well as we had earlier. Uh, Andrea Burloff, who wrote this, also co-wrote 2015 Straight Out of Compton. Um, it's a lovely film as well. Um, and Ron, I think this comes into... I guess a lot of the elements of the film, Rotten Tomatoes, and this is, you know, if you pay credence to Rotten Tomatoes or not, it's it's there, it's interesting if you want to see it. Uh, they gave it 67%, their consensus saying, uh, visually stunning tribute to the lives lost in tragedy, World Trade Center succeeds unequivocally, more politically muted than many of Stone's other works. Um, you know, I think 67%, I'm, I was kind of looking at that and thinking, with my views as the film overall, now I've watched it, it maybe felt a touch too generous. I mean, not to say that there wouldn't have been negative reviews about the film, as there are there's negative reviews for everything somewhere on the internet, but I guess there was kind of an element in my head was like that felt almost that, um, I guess critics kind of had to be kind to this film, in a way. Like, Are you going to be the one critic that sort of um, you know, shits on 9-11 in theatrical form? But. Well, uh, that that's a perfect that's a perfect point to make because I actually had a little like look on IMDb as I love to always have a look at their their reviews and I just wanted to share with you a review I found which is a one star review uh, oh, that, that is titled "Boring Movie" by Oh Steedavar eighty two I think I think I'm pronouncing that right and it was posted the first of October. 2006 so this would have been a fresh review this would have been somebody who saw it in theaters sure if you regard the fact of the title spelt t-i-double-t-l-e give the movie away (laughs) it is still a pretty predictable from start up to finish but I mean, almost two hours of police officers lying, spelt L-Y-I-N-G, under rubble, mm-hmm. uh, and nothing else, just a view of how their families are coping. It's so American. It's so like Pearl Harbor movie. So subjective and predictable. American lives, yay for us. Boo to the bad guys. I want to interject there that, that like, the this isn't like a boo to the... There's no mention of bad guys in this at all. <laughs> this is like... There is, this is all happening, like, in, in the course of one, maybe one and a half days. Yeah. We didn't know it was, it was Al-Qaeda yet. Yeah, there's... Or the Taliban. So, yeah, it's like... I, I'm not sure what that point is trying to make. Like, are they supposed to be like, 
be sympathetic to like Jimmy. Be sympathetic to the bad guys as well. Show what a summer was up to at the time. Uh, but what other people? Oh, yeah. But what about the other people who really died? What about the real-life family tragedies, all the widows, the single parents left alone after the fall of the towers, and the children who has one or two par- who lost one or two parents? Well, anyway, another movie and another waste of time. Fuck off. Fuck <laughs> off. What film were you expecting? Like, what? did did he want sort of like a, a in memoriam of every person that died in the credits? Was he expecting the fucking plane to be wearing a turban as it ploughed into the building? What did he want? Well, my, what did he want? But my, my, my thing is that final line where it says, "Well, anyway, another movie, another waste of time." I think this is somebody who just doesn't like films. Do you know what I mean? It's like they've gone, oh, I've watched another one and it's another waste of time. And it's like, well, it's like, yeah, like you said, what was this film going to be? I think, in a way, it handles it like in one of the better ways that this story could have been handled. Like, yeah, I don't like it could have, I think it could have been a lot worse. I always look to, Oh, what is like just in the fact of release dates is Zero Dark Thirty came out like within eighteen months of Osama bin Laden being assassinated, and it's yeah. like that to me is far more like America, fuck yeah. Whereas this is like at least it's trying to tell a very personal story about these two people. Yeah, it, it's like, obviously, this person has never seen a film that they've enjoyed. They've, uh, you know, you're allowed to not like films, that's fine, it's subjective, but I don't know, were you expecting Superman to sort of lift Cage from the rubble, <laughs> ironically, um, and just be like the American flag um, just covering Ground Zero? Like, I don't know what you wanted from this film. And then, why are you acting like the title spoiled the film? As if you didn't know what this film was about. <laughs> I mean, if you'd if you'd gone to the cinema at the time, you know, and you were expecting to see fucking like Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers, and you walked in to a different Two Towers, then yes, I would be a bit surprised as well. But fuck off, calm down, yeah. eat shit. Well, that's all I've got to say about that. Well, as a man who loves balance, I thought I'd give you a, a quick ten star review of this film. That is ten stars. That is you must see this movie uh, by Jeb uh, Jebo Foes this again is tw- right. 12th of August 2006 so this would have been right at breaking point as this film came out right this would have been like day of release almost so there are so many political baits out there regarding whether or not we should be at war with Iraq and our relationship with Israel etc toss that stuff aside for two hours this is an incredible movie that documents two regular guys upon their uh, upon their upon to do their job who are faced with the true and ugly reality of 9-11 in new york city on that fateful day this movie is about people survivors family 
and two men faced with death at their doorstep. I walked away today a different person after this movie. Everyone should see it because it's based on a true story about the human spirit. Oliver Stone should be proud. If you're only going to see one movie at the theatre this year, make it be World Trade Center. You won't be sorry. <laughs> if it not, if that review, um, and I'm, you know, I, I'm assuming a, a guy wrote this. If it wasn't for them sort of signing off saying "See World Trade Center," up until that point, you would have assumed they were describing Brokeback Mountain <laughs> about <laughs> just following the human spirit. Um, I don't know. I've always so strange just seeing these like, over the top reviews. I suppose I was looking on IMDb, just looking at the awards it won as well. Um, when you find out about all these awards that you never knew existed mm-hmm. because there's thousands of them. Uh, Hollywood Film Awards, Oliver Stone given Best Director of the Year and Hollywood Movie of the Year felt, felt a bit, I guess, self-congratulatory. Someone had to be brave enough to helm the film about 9-11. Uh, the Freedom of Expression Award, National Board of Reviews USA, the most American award that there is. <laughs> and then, for balance, the Spanish Yoga Awards, which seems to be the opposite to their uh, main national annual films, the Goyas. Uh, the Yoga Awards in 2007 gave it Worst Foreign Film. I think Spain collectively went boohoo America, wow, 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 <laughs> and did not did not care for it at all. So um, that's, the, that's the level of balance I can sort of give to this, but it did well enough for the at the box office. Sixty-five million budget made one hundred sixty-three point two million, leaving room for that sequel, um, <laughs> but didn't seem to be as uh, critically acclaimed as United ninety-three that you sort of brought up earlier as well. So, um, I suppose in a way, and obviously saying this respectfully as possible, the film told its story. It served its purpose. It's, um, it's a solid two-star film. Do you know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> that's it. Like, like, yeah. It's it's a two. Like, it's kind of. Like, I wouldn't like. Yeah, that's not a recommend either. It's like there's other more interesting like films out there, and I'm just like talking about on a film basis. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. the things that happened were, were terrible, and it's like I don't. I don't want to like. I th- I think we're deep enough into this to know like. We both appreciate that that they 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 are horrible events, but at the same like we have to look at this as a film, and it's like it's just it, I don't think there's elements of it that are very like hallmark channel like do you know what I mean? Here's the time for you to cry, and like it's like mm-hmm. it's got too it's got too many like it's got too many problems with it, and especially like with tw- yeah with twenty twenty one eyes, it's got that thing of like. It's very propaganda. It's very like white centric. Like apart from the Michael Pena character, but do you know I mean it's very like focusing on the lives of yeah cops basically. And it's I guess I guess that was what they could do with the film because it looks like it's adapted from like memoirs potentially because it says like story by. And then, like, list it, lists uh, both, what, what's his name, McLaughlin and Jimeno are listed as, like, story by. So I'm guessing they maybe would have had books out by this point, potentially. Or, do you know what I mean? At least, like, 
they had some big involvement with the film itself. So, I don't, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely for me. It's a it's a two star film. Yeah, it's. Um, I think they must have served as consultants mm-hmm. on it um, for, for for some. Element. I think they tr- with the two years later thing they tried to say you know even though this was a tragedy this was a success for humanity because Cage's character sort of voiceover sort of opines that um, this brought out the goodness we forgot could exist um, it's just it's people taking care of each other for no reason other than they thought it was the right thing to do so it, it's kind of like you know quickly let's uh, let's quickly promote the the American way like uh, and, uh, one in America yay <laughs> um, <laughs> right at the end like I said I thought I thought there was there's some you know impressive shots in there I thought Nicholas Cage's mustache was the best he'd had since Deadfall um, and 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 as I said he looked old he he was fine in the film again I think anyone could have been cast in this film and it would have it wouldn't have changed. It's, you know, if I was going to rate it with my rating system that I started with, then keep forgetting to do, it would give it a bronze cage because nothing gets lower than a bronze cage if Nicolas Cage is in it um, because I'm biased and a turd. Um, <laughs> but I think it's that I've, I wouldn't, unless you've got, um, you're like a history student or a politics student looking at America specifically, that's the reason to maybe watch it for this period, but. That's just a, a film to watch. I, I don't think I'd recommend it. I wouldn't say to go out of your way to watch this. It's fine, but meh. Yeah, meh. as somebody who's like watched something that's like a politically charged Oliver Stone movie, I would say dedicate three and a half hours of your life to watching JFK, which is like, for me, like a precursor to Zodiac that is like far more interesting and like I don't know, looks at the moral ambiguity of the people who we're supposed to look up to and be in charge. Whereas this is like it feels like they're treading on eggshells to make sure that they're not offending anyone and at the same time they deliver a beige and vanilla film. Um I think I can't really put it any better than that. It's it's a film about nine eleven. Um, you know, it's very respectful, but it's very safe. It plays a lot of things carefully. It's fine. Um, if you're looking for something really juicy from two thousand and six, watch The Wicker Man. That's my <laughs> that's that's my ending review for World Trade Center. Um, but I suppose on that bombshell, as we sort of look to wrap this episode up, um, I've seen very succinctly put about the film. Uh, Petros on the socials where can we find you so you can find me at caged in pod on twitter facebook and instagram and yeah come 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 chat with me I, I, I love I love chatting all types of bullshit I'm always like uh doing a lot of polls recently I'm not sure when this will go out like Daryl when will this go out maybe at ballpark figure April time March April time perfect so Possibly by the time uh, by the time that this has gone out, uh, I will I would have left Kate. Cage will be just a, a dot in the distance in 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 my past. In that I am looking at the films by the Coppola family, so the wider family that Nick Cage is a part of, and kind of trying to understand Nick Cage that a little bit more by understanding the family in which he came from. And trying to find out who are the bad apples and who are the good apples on that family tree. So yeah, like come over, get get involved. It it, it will be it will be different to to 
to Daryl's timeline at least. It will be like this thing of like, I'll, I'll be posting a lot of pictures of uh, Francis Ford Coppola and uh, George Lucas, whereas, uh, I don't know, Daryl will be posting pictures of Nick Cage in a pink jacket and, and, a, and, and a cool mask. <laughs> well, lots of intersecting timelines, and if my timeline is anything like Petros's, then in two, three years from now, uh, when I'm single again, I'll be looking at the Coppola's as well. <laughs> you better fucking um, not. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, hey, Willem Dafoe, still ripe out there. Getting Dafoe you, you never know. Coming 2020 question mark. Um, but lovely. Wonderful to have you on. Uh, finally, irresistible cage force meets immovable cage object. Cage podcasts have joined forces uh, to tackle a cage film it's been uh, a pleasure and a privilege to have you on and as you'll hear now this little embedded music to see us out Petros made this, it's really good uh, <laughs> we'll see you in the next one but until then keep on, keep on caging it's all you have to do, take care and bye bye